Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Pod Kiss the Best. All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Hi, this is James Hager. 2009 was a great year for KISS fans, and in 2010, Bruce Kulick will unleash his new BK3 album. Bruce was kind enough to give us an exclusive interview and a chance to preview his great new record, so without further ado, here's Bruce. Now we're going to talk about a really good album, yours. <laughs> oh, wonderful, thank you. I'm going to tell you, Bruce, this is my favorite thing you've ever done. Thanks. And, that was the uh, goal, by the way, is that people could, could probably say that, so I appreciate that. I mean, this is right up there with, like, I'm going to say revenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As far as quality. Goal. As far mm-hmm. as quality, this is this is it. And it's amazing you have this, this fantastic lineup of people that you're working with, but mm-hmm. at no time to me does it feel like I've uh, went and put another CD on. It, right. if, if anything, it might it might sound like some guy programmed a really cool radio station. Yeah, maybe it the, is like a playlist of songs, but but you know, again, my I always feel like my guitar playing was like kind of the glue between all the songs. You know, oh, it, it definitely is, and your style is there. And I hear a ton of influences, but it never feels uh, contrived or forced. It it is so awesome. And as a Beatles fan. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna tell you, I hear George Harrison on there. I mm-hmm. hear tons of stuff. It is it is amazing what well, you've done. You know, the Beatles were one of my big influences, and there, there there are reference points when I go into the studio that that are based upon a lot of the you know classic groups that that kind of enthused me to be a musician, and the uh, Beatles being um, probably at the top of the list, you know. So um, I'm glad you're hearing those influences without it being a complete ripoff, of course. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I gotta say, when I when I put the record on mm-hmm. and fate started playing the right. I actually had to double check my iTunes because I thought it was playing from the middle of the song and that's a compliment because it right. starts off just that hard and heavy it's it, right, it took right. me by surprise yeah it was supposed to hit you right over the head and grab you by the throat right away that was the the whole the whole point of fate was to open this record with something that would really reach out and grab the listener that like hey I mean business here you better pay attention you know and um, I had some fun with the lyrics. They're all like a little bit of a word play, you know, the rapid fire um, lyrics coming off and with some kiss titles in it uh, done for a, a little tongue in cheek vibe. But, right. but they're all relevant to whatever my situation was. So if I'm talking about laser beams and war machine, you know, I'm seeing myself on stage with, with hot in the shade, for example. Cool. But the, the real um, kind of sentiment of the song is just like, hey, I'm here. Um, this is who I am. I'm not in anyone in anyone's shadow. And and really, your journey in life is really always your fate, you know. And and that's where you're. No matter how much you want, might want to plan it, uh, that's where you that you know you are where you are, you know. I'm quite comfortable in those shoes, and I'm proud of it. And I wanted everyone to know here I am, and this is the best of me coming on this record. So look out. No that, doubt that about was, it. That was the vibe of uh, of fate, and I have to thank. Uh, Jeremy, my producer, for kind of having that vision, too, that, that he wanted this first song to be like, like gangbusters, you know, something to really grab your attention. To me, it's almost like an audio declaration of independence. Yeah, there you go. I like that. <laughs> and and the, the, the Kiss reference, I mean, a lot of people may not pick it up the first time they hear it, but you're, you're mm-hmm. throwing a Got to Choose in there, War Machine, mm-hmm. Shout It Out Loud. Tons of stuff. It's it's definitely yeah. a treat for it. It was done just for fun, you know, a tip of the hat to the band. But, you know, and in some way, either um, the way it would sound would feel right or the way it, um, the sentiment it expressed made sense, you know. So um, it's it's it was kind of fun to do that. It's kind of hard to, um, you know, be creative without, you know, stepping on holy territory, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But I feel like I was able to uh, accomplish that. I'm always using my face So you point and smile But I don't care if it's true 
there's the MVP of the album, other than you, mm-hmm. and it's Brent Fitz. Brent's his, a great player. Yep. his drumming is amazing. Yeah, I mean, Brent's a solid player, very versatile, very musical. Um, he winds up uh, playing quite uh, creative stuff on the uh, Gene song, which uh, I remember uh, um, we didn't know that we would head, head, you know, take that in that direction when we were going to record the song with Gene. Uh, but uh, he really, I think he really shined on it, you know. He's, he's got some great, great drumming going on. And uh, I loved him in Union, so it wasn't hard for him to do the right thing with my project. But I was just really proud to have him involved, of course. Well, let's let's talk about that song. We're talking, of course, about track two, which is Ain't mm-hmm. Gonna Die. Great vocals from Gene. It, I think it could have fit very comfortably on Carnival of Souls or even Revenge. And mm-hmm. i got to say, as a, as a fan, really magic happens when you and Gene collaborate. Yeah, I, I love working with Gene, and in some ways, um, it was an interesting story getting that song done, actually, because the first few times, it was really my goal to present a track that Jeremy and I already had, which actually turned out to be the uh, the song that Tobias Sanit sings. But uh, Gene and I looked at that, and we, we were fooling around with it, but he was kind of taking it in a, in, a, in a direction that I just thought it was getting away from what I heard. So we started some new things, and... I like working with Gene, like I said, but sometimes I realize I'm a, I'm still a little frozen in, in time, in a sense, uh, like like having you know flashbacks to um, when I was so hungry to get co-writes on on Kiss stuff, you know, and <laughs> I think I think I, I didn't completely know how to handle it, but it really came together once I asked Gene to bring in Jeremy. And our schedule was like always terrible; he was always busy traveling and, and doing things, and me too. But when we finally got together, that the, really the last time when we finally created this thing called Ain't Gonna Die, uh, Jeremy was there as well, and, and that really helped. And the three of us really dialed in something right then that day that I knew would be a great track. And then, of course, I, it was Gene that was singing this concept of Ain't Gonna Die, and I didn't know what he meant by that. You know, people, when they write, sometimes they just blurt out a lyric, you know, but it, it yeah. doesn't necessarily keep, you know, everybody knows. Like a scratch yep. track. Yeah, I mean, yesterday by McCartney was Scrambled Eggs, you know. Right. Obviously, yep. you know, the biggest song of all time was not going to be called Scrambled Eggs. But uh, in this case, I like the idea of something about him saying something, uh, never die or something. And uh, I thought about it a lot. And prior to us going into the studio, I realized I really want to pitch him something that I think um, uh, it, it will will be the concept of the lyric. You know, knowing that Gene would have some some ideas as well, but. And then I, I dawned upon that whole, you know, the his legacy is really what will never die. I mean, he's created, a, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world, of course, but his makeup and his, his iconic nature and, you know, he's he's an icon in, in the music business, and that will never die no matter what. And that and then I wanted to, you know, explain to him, you know, shows like TMZ or so, um, you know, uh, all in our face, you know, the way the media picks on fame, you know. And, right. and I wanted him to have fun with that. And, and he kind of got it right away, and we wrote the lyrics the day we cut the track. And, um, you know, within like, you know, an hour, the, the lyrics were done, and then he jumped in and sang it. And Jeremy and I were thrilled because we knew we had, like, that special thing that Gene's capable of. You know, and we all miss the mark sometimes, so I'm not going to tell you that, you know, Gene will admit to not everything he's ever recorded and performed on is is amazing, but I really think... Um, we accomplished, um, you know, a, a great, memorable Gene Simmons song that would fit on the best of the best, you know, from Kiss or, or his his own stuff, you know. So I was Bruce, very, what, very Bruce, with Bruce, what are you talking about? Boomerang is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I like the guitar parts in that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. yep, yep um, the uh, thing about it is is that the lyrics are so cocky, and it's great because. Uh, it almost like attacks people that are always attacking him because they may not understand his motivations or what gets him through, but he just doesn't care. He's going to survive one way or another. Right. You know, eat your heart out. I mean, exactly. I, I kind of wanted to feed him that vibe of, um, uh, you know, um, people say I'm always using my fame, you know, mm-hmm. I, and that's, and that's true. You know, uh, there's no doubt that, um, uh, uh, in some ways, you know, people pick on the famous people because they're just, uh, you know, uh, an, an easy uh, target. Yeah, exactly. So um, it, it was very, very. I was very pleased to to 
it, it just came natural for him. I, I love the line, like, I don't even care if you like this song, you know. <laughs> exactly. A big uh, screw you kind of thing, you know. Um, but, you know, Gene's always been about take no prisoners and get out of my way. And, um, you know, uh, I, you know, here, here I am, like it or not, you know. We like the song a lot, and I, I think the strings are incredible, too. That was another thing that Jeremy pushed me about, because it's very easy to have a synthesizer and a keyboard do it, but, you know, ultimately, um, he convinced me, we have to have a real, <laughs> you know, real strings, you know what I mean? And uh, sure enough, there they were, and I, I loved having it on, on the Gene track. And That's I like the psychedelic ending. Uh, uh, and that, that, that well, it's not meant to be Carnival Souls or any era of Kiss. It's just meant to be more, I was trying to make a, the way the Beatles would use a little bit of that clever violin, weepy violin sound, you know, that, mm-hmm. that picked up one of the themes in the song. So I was very pleased with it. Nice. Yeah, it, it basically uses it points of past work as a point of reference. Mm-hmm. It in no way sounds like a musical leftover. It, you and know, that was really important to me. I did not exactly. want anything, especially using Gene, that it's got to, you know, to say like I have to, you know, uh, oh, I found this lying around the closet. No, it was done brand new. Not that, not that sometimes there's some gems in the closet, but I'm just really proud that we all put it together and and it came out as uh, cohesively as it did. One theme that keeps coming back from this album is surviving. Mm-hmm. Not just in that track, but through the whole album. What are you trying to tell us? <laughs> well, you're jumping ahead probably more to that song, um, yeah. you know, I'll Survive, but, but the yeah. truth is... Um, Look, I've had a long career, and it's it's had many highlights, you know, but it, it, it's always hard work, and, and life always has its, you know, ups and downs and setbacks. I mean, I went through a major change um, right after the MTV thing. By, by January of that year, you know, they showed it in October, but uh-huh. we did it in August, but I separated from my wife at the time from, you know, we were together about four or five years by then, six years, and then... Um, so now I'm getting divorced, and in January I'm told, hey, the band's going to go back into makeup, you know, and I uh, don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, it was the end of me being in Kiss. And uh, and here we are uh, all these years on, and I've, I've really thrived, even even though I haven't been in the band in all those years. But but there's always setbacks in life, and in 2003 when I got shot, um, that was a miracle that, um, you know, people go like, wow, wrong place, wrong time, and I'm like, no, I kind of was in the right place because, you know, two inches away, I would have been either crippled or dead. You know, wow. you get what I mean? You know, yeah. who, who wants to be in, in, in line of fire, you know, but uh, if, if you're going to shoot me, please make sure it doesn't permanently do any damage or or kill me, you know. So um, there is a survival thing. We, we all, I mean, every day you want to survive. You think about taking a trip. You think about, I want to come home, you know. I mean, I want to be back, you know, and uh, too often do you read, People that you you know that you know that that have passed on you know we just talked about our car you know and you, you know survival is in our DNA and uh, I did share a bit of that and I, I you know getting back to the to the title of Gene's song I was surprised he blurted out something like that but once again I tried to make it a, in a bigger way that that uh, you know um, I'm sure you know if it didn't happen already something about Kiss and, and the legacy of Kiss, Kiss is in some time capsule, you know, sent on the moon already. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, there's something about Kiss that, that uh, um, uh, will we'll live on forever. Uh, next track, No Friend of Mine, uh, features John Karabi, uh, your mm-hmm. forming union singer and of Motley Crue. And, uh, I'm going to tell you, it really sounds right at home on modern rock radio. Like, well, cool. you know, 
kind of like bands like Shine Down or mm-hmm. Three Days Grace. Um, and 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 that's not a bad thing. Like a, a lot of times, guys will put out an album that are from, let's say, a classic band. And it either sounds like 1978, but not good 1978, mm-hmm. or it sounds like they're trying to do something that they don't really understand. This is perfect. Right. It's like uh, putting on a nice, comfortable pair of old jeans. Well, it, is, cool. it is perfect. This is a great I mean, song. The goal, the goal with John's track was, you know, we work well together, and, and, and Jeremy, my producer, was very, very uh, excited to work with John because he was such a fan of um, the Blue Room, you know. And, and was you know that was like a soundtrack for one of his uh, summers or something like that. And he was really looking forward to working with with John. And then you know to get the best of John would be our goal. And and sure enough, um, uh, it was hard scheduling wise to nail it down the time when we could all get together. But we knew the track would be really really good for John. And the whole lyrical concept of that tortured soul, no friend of mine. You know he he can be very angsty. I like the self reflective kind of thing that he got to sing about and I love the way the verses are kind of gentle and then he really opens up in the choruses mm-hmm. you know the track really came together you know I had some uh, really good guitar work um, you know harmony guitars and the big solo and it really really I accomplished a lot on that song that's why the EP that I offered back in April uh, started off with that one you know I, I knew I couldn't uh, just give away the Gene and Nick songs, if you know what I mean, but that, yeah. that people would, would be familiar with John and, and, and see the quality of the work that, that was to come with uh, BK3. Right. i got to hit you up for this, Bruce. Uh, both Ken and I play some guitar, and I know we have mm-hmm. a lot of listeners who, who are musicians. Talk about the tone, how you got the tone on the leads for uh, No Friend of Mine, because it's just such an incredible guitar tone. I'm trying to think back. You know, I know on my website in the studio blog, I actually talk about the, um, you, you know, which guitars I use. And I really think it was my uh, Paul Reed Smith McCarty that is very, very, uh, it just has a, a bitey kind of Les Paul Jr.-ish kind of sound, that guitar. Right. And um, I know the ending solos really are nasty. It's mostly, um, I mean, that's a go-to guitar for me a lot with, with some leads, this one particular silver McCarty. A lot of the sound is this early 900 head that um, really just gets a nice, uh, fat, mid-rangey tone, you know. The the pull-off part, there there is a section in there where I, I did that clever little trick where I, I play this crazy pull-off riff. That's fun, and, you know, it took me about five or six times until I got it, you know, sounding right, you know, but... And that might have been a Les Paul, actually. But I know the all the ending riff parts were that Paul Reed Smith. The harmony guitars that sound, you know, Ebo, Ebo-like, you know. Right. Um, I, I'm not even sure what I used. And then, of course, there's the nasty solo, which uh, I'd have to check my, uh, my, my, my little book. I, I, I made notes in my Yellow Submarine Beetle book, you know, on, on what guitars I used a lot. But... You know, in every song, um, it was the right guitar for the right job, you know, and I, I would sometimes, um, you know, there'd be solo sections in a, in a song, but it could be three different guitars doing the solo sections. Like, I know, I know we're done talking about the Gene song, but I just tell you that that song starts out on one guitar of the solo, but then I switch to another one, you know, so it's kind of, um, I had that luxury and I took advantage of it. <laughs> you nice. know what I mean? So It's seamless. It's, just, brain, you know, you know. It's, it's a really seamless transition, too. It works nicely. Good, good. That's good. We'll be back with more of our exclusive podcast interview with Bruce Kulik in a moment. But first, this is Bruce's new single, Hand of the King, with Nick Simmons on lead vocals. Big thanks to Bruce for letting us play this. Give it a listen. Come along, we must be strong to reach the castle before dawn. Don't mind the moans of your feet. It's just a friend. Glorious sea among the stars, 
was Hand of the King featuring Nick Simmons on lead vocals. That's the first single from the forthcoming BK3 record, which is due in stores on February 2nd, 2010. We want to just give a big podcast thank you to Anne Claire Marty from Rocket Science for hooking us up with that MP3 and also with the interview with Bruce. And without further ado, here's the rest of our exclusive podcast chat with Bruce Kulik. Now, are you ready for all the teenage girls that are going to be uh, buying the album to get a hold of the Nick Simmons track, Hand of the King? Well, you know, I think he's capable of having a huge, uh, like, fan base. You know, how they'll respond to his voice, him being this, like, you know, very, very uh, funny, uh, friendly, you know, um, you know, and I know he is uh, some sort of a, uh, idol to to the young people. Uh, it will be interesting to see. I mean, I'm, I have no clue how they're going to respond, but that would be wonderful. And in fact, uh, I'm going to be speaking to, to Nick soon. And I, I only spoke to him a little bit at the at the Kiss show back at uh, the Anaheim gig. I told him I wanted to talk to him about um, to see if there's some stuff he'd like to do with me. You know, uh, because I know that that track is going to get a lot of attention, and I'd like it to. I just think it's um, one of the best things on the record. I'm proud of them all, but I'm just saying, and I wanted to talk to him about that. So who knows? You know, uh, I, uh, I hope so. I hope that there's, a, that there's a, a real attention made towards uh, his contribution. Now, the drums, they have like a uh, kind of Zeppelin-ish stomp to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of Stone Temple Pilots in a strange way. It, yeah, like... I, you know, that's a good reference. And, and I know when we presented the song to actually we left let Nick pick we had two or three things to play him that we wanted to see what turned them on to want to be involved in and he chose 
what was to become Hand of the King. And and I did look at that a little bit like a Stone Temple Pilots kind of riff, you know. Ironically enough, the original title that Jeremy and I had something with bigger than you was the title. And we had some lyrics regarding a concept of uh, of that. And um, I find it ironic only because like a couple of days ago when I thought about that, I realized that, you know, here's one of the few people that are bigger than me. And he's the one that, that, that you know, wrote the lyrics and sang the song. You know? <laughs> Nick. I mean, Nick is like 6'7 or something. You know, yeah. I'm 6'3. So he towers over me. It's kind of strange, you know, but... What a great guy. He's really smart. He's very, very clever. He gets his kind of family situation the way Gene is and what Kiss means. And uh, Gene, Gene and Shannon did a wonderful job bringing up that, that boy. He's, he's really got the, the, as far as I'm concerned, he's got the world in, in, in the palm of his hand. It's got to be weird because here's this kid who was running around backstage at the Revenge show, and now he's singing on your album. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's come full circle. In fact, when I first started uh, talking to him about the song and everything, I found a couple of really cool pictures in this special um, box that I was keeping some of the older Kiss things, and uh, I scanned it and sent it to him. I mean, him literally looking like the most awkward little, you know, like like baby, you know, in a, in a stroller, you know, and, and yet it was pure Nick, you know. What I mean, it was so funny. He was freaking out. They used some of that on the show, you know, mm-hmm. uh, on the Family Jewel show. And, and I should mention that, uh, you know, they featured him a little bit and, and the session with Gene um, yeah. on, on the Family Jewel show and the one called Memphis Blues. And that was really cool. It came out earlier this year. Yeah, it, it was really cool to see you on the show, by the way. Well, thanks. I had, was... I had fun doing it. And it was, that was a fun day in the studio for sure. I'll bet. Um, who wrote the lyrics? Well, I have to give Nick 100% credit on that, um, and Jeremy and I were really proud of that. That he had a point of view, and and his, you know, his passion is this kind of sci-fi, you know, comic book world, which uh, I'm aware of, you know, but I I don't have that kind of you know, um, you know, knowledge or passion for, and I really feel like he created a. Uh, kind of like Lord of the Rings-ish, you know, kind Definitely. of um, imagery that, that was very powerful. When I typed out the lyrics so that my art guy could have, um, you know, the you know, uh, you know know his work for all the songs uh, that I was, you know, working on, uh, I got chills typing out his, his lyrics. They were really, really great. Living each day without a Life could be saved with just one move. I tried so hard. The next song is I'll Survive. Now that was definitely related to, um, it was the first thing I really wrote that wound up on BK3, and I wrote it back in uh, the end of 2003 because I had that, that shooting incident in October, and by November I was obviously home a lot, you know, recuperating. I was on crutches, even though my leg was healing really well. But I remember just holding guitar and playing the C chord and the D chord and the E chord and having this melody, I'll survive, you know. And uh, I, I had the bridge section, but I, I didn't really know what else it was going to become, but it, it didn't take long for me to... Uh, shape it into a really powerful tune once uh, Jeremy and I started working on it. And then how do you poetically talk about it's not a rap tune, you know, how do you poetically talk, uh, poetically talk about getting shot, you know. So I tried to uh, do it in a um, clever way, you know, and uh, say things like, uh, you know, a warm smoking gun, um, things like the beast and man is the way I'm referring to the, mm-hmm. uh, the guy that was drunk out of his mind. And by the way, he got 10 years in jail. Oh, wow. Uh, he was drunk out of his mind. I mean, it wasn't like, um, you know, he wasn't trying to shoot me. He was angry and going back to uh, the Rainbow Club to uh, shoot the security guard that threw him out, you know, which is really kind of sad and pathetic, but that's what happened. I have a little side story I'd like to tell you. Um, I'll never forget that night. I was watching KTLA out of Los Angeles on the satellite dish and uh, came up, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there just getting ready for bed and it comes up and says kiss guitar shot 
And I look up on the screen, and there's a picture of Ace Fraley in his elder costume. Oh. And it says Bruce Kulick. Well, it's probably because you and him wore each other's makeup at some point, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure. No, look, the press screw up those things. Same thing happened when they had the horrible fire mm-hmm. with Great White at the club, and they showed yeah. a picture of uh, the band. Um, the singer actually had the side project that my brother posed with a picture. So, and then they knew that the guitar player perished, and, uh, and you know, all of a sudden there's a photo uh, up on CNN with, with, with my brother in the, in the 8x10 that they were showing. Wow. So, um, uh, yeah, the press do stupid things, at least at first. They straighten it out after a while. But, mm-hmm. you know, the funny thing was I come back from the hospital uh, that morning. They didn't keep me very long, actually, because fortunately I didn't, I didn't have a, a severe injury. I just had uh, what's called a gunshot wound, you know, which, which you, you do heal from as long as it didn't uh, hit an artery or break a bone or something, you know. And uh, anyway, scrolling on the screen when I got back home, of course I'm high on morphine and, you know, on medication and everything. But I see scrolling on CNN that's saying, um, you know, uh, Kiss Guitar is shot on Sunset Boulevard, you know, and I realized I better call my parents now before somebody at the place where they live Wow. The guitar at home, you know, freaks them out. And I woke up my mom probably around seven, and I said, "Look, it's you know, I want to let you know I'm fine. I'm home, but yeah, I got shot last night, but I'm okay." <laughs> you know, it was wow, pretty freaking surreal. That's all I can say. So, so that track has a very powerful meaning for me, and um, and I have to say I'm uh, really proud about how it came out musically. She's so intoxicated. The game she's playing I don't know what time it is anymore She always keeps me waiting I'm anticipating The way she makes me crazy What's the uh, next song? Dirty um, Girl. Doug, Doug Feiger I met at the fantasy camp, and I was a, always a Mac fan. And what a sweet guy. He, he, we would talk about Beatles stuff, and he's a big Beatle, you know, uh, brilliant, brilliant, uh, has, has amazing knowledge of, uh, of, of the Beatles and the recording and everything and instruments and stuff. And, and, and when Jeremy and I wrote that tune, um, I loved the riff. It was going to be a really strong power pop song, I felt, but I knew that I wouldn't sing it. I knew I couldn't sing it. It needed a, a bigger voice. A, or better power pop song, voice, better rather. So Doug immediately came to mind, of course, you know. And then when I asked him uh, after he listened to the track, he said, I'm in, great. And I actually wrote the lyrics. Um, Jeremy came up with this Dirty Girl pre-chorus, which really is like the chorus in the title now. But I was like, well, what did you mean by that? And at the time, Paris Hilton was in the press a lot. So I just kind of went off on a tangent. Me always used to, you know, thinking, well, you know, She's hot, you know what I mean? And then I'm going like, damn, what, what, what would it be like trying to date her? And then I put myself in that, that framework, and I realized those kind of people, sadly, you know, and I don't know her personally, so I don't really know, but my impression is that nothing's ever enough, and she's not really happy. And, you know, and my fantasy was, which is where the lyric came from, like, let me show you. If you take my hand and come with me, everything will be fine. You know what I mean? And we'll walk off into the valley and, and there'll be flowers and sunshine. You know what I mean? It's just a silly mm-hmm. fantasy. But but you're such a dirty girl. <laughs> you, know, you know, so it was it was easy for Doug to relate to singing it. And, and Jeremy and I had, had, had fun recording that with him. And I, I love all the guitar work on that track. And I really appreciate Doug contributing. He's had a really tough couple of years. He's been fighting cancer. Yeah. And oh, real, you know, another survival person, you know, and uh, he did a great job on the track. And I, and I think it's really interesting to have someone like him and then, of course, have somebody, you know, like Gene, you know, with, with the big voice. You know what I mean? It's a different, right. different thing, but it, but it really works well. Well, it works great. And, and uh, you know, we're going to send a copy of the song to Paris Hilton now. So. <laughs> okay, please do. Please do. Okay, I want to ask you. I love her. Yeah. I want to ask you about the bass on the song "Final Mile," which is the next track mm-hmm. on the album. The bass is yep. smoking. Yeah, it's really big. And what's funny is that, like, I played bass, let's say, on the Nick song. 
I let Jeremy play on the Gene song. He's a, he's a fine bass player and he knows how much I love it. But there were times I was like, go ahead and play bass. Cause it was, you know, he wasn't really going to play much guitar, you know, even though he can play a little bit. So, uh, he did the bass on that. And, and actually the way it was mixed by, by my, uh, brilliant engineer, Brian Virtue was quite big. You know I mean? It just sounds huge. You know, that bass Absolutely. is my 66 Fender and, uh, Jeremy's very musical. Period. The guy, the guy's very talented, and and he really he really nailed that one. And that song was kind of interesting. Um, it was always like kind of like on the back burner. And then once I realized I really do want an eleventh song on the record, it came from the first batch that we recorded. But we kept changing the recipe for the record because uh, once we got Gene and Nick, things started to take a different you know uh, shape you know for, for what the record would be. So Final Mile was kind of like really frustrating for us because it was not called Final Mile. It had something like, what did I say? We had another title for it called the London Song. And, uh, you know, I, I, I envisioned a, a video with people coming out of their shops on some famous London street singing along. You know what I mean? You notice right. it has a guitar part that's kind of like I gave rock and roll, you know, just a thematic guitar thing, you know. And that was important uh, for the song. But... The whole lyric concept that we we originally had just wasn't doing it for us. And um, we reached out. Jeremy knows this guy, Dan Lavery, who's a very talented bass player. He worked with the Fray, and he was in a band called Tonic. And he's a good songwriter, too. And Jeremy said, you know, I think that Dan will have a handle on this. And we threw it at him, and he kind of adjusted the melody. And then he came up with a lyric concept and said, you know, what do you think about me writing something about you know, traveling and leaving the family and, and missing missing your loved ones at home, you know. And I said, perfect, go for it, you know what I mean? And, and he came up with uh, the lyrics for that, and I w- it was very easy for me to relate, you know, and and uh, and, and, and actually sing that song. So um, I'm glad it didn't um, it didn't get left behind. I think it belongs in the record. Absolutely. Yep. And there's a lot of really interesting guitar parts on it too. In, in the end, even though it was one of the last things that we We've, we fixed up Fate and Final Mile were the last pieces worked on. Nothing ain't what it seems You're just a pretender You're the man to make your memory Then we have the big Tobias track. Is that next? Yep, I'm an animal. Yeah, I'm the animal was like, um, originally um, that track was really something that I thought Gene might want to record on. And, and I think I mentioned it earlier that we... Gene and I looked at it, but it didn't. Um, I didn't like where he was taking it, so we didn't know what to do with it. And then I remember uh, doing an event in Japan with Eric, and in the background, when we were doing our autograph signing session, they were playing Avantasia, the record that Eric played on, uh-huh. which was Tobias's side project. Now he's very well known in Europe and in South America, and only a little known in America. So I'm listening, and I go, what's that? And he goes, like, oh, that's that, that guy in Germany I recorded with. I told you about him. I go, like, I love his voice. He's great. He goes, Bruce, you should have him on your record. He's great. So I got to thank Eric for the hookup there, and then I contacted Tobias. He was really flattered. Apparently, uh, Eric told me that years ago I, I actually – he actually approached me about something, but I was too busy. I didn't know who he was or whatever. Mm-hmm. But next thing I know, Ed Guy is on tour in America. He already had the track. He had some ideas. He had some lyrics that were more related to, like, I'm a, I'm a dog or something. You know, he wanted to do, like, a kind of uh, a relationship revenge kind of scenario mm-hmm. about some girl that, that you know, um, didn't treat him right, and he said he's going to haunt him in the dreams. And I loved all that, but I just – I always had a, a title floating around from one, one time a girl called, said to me, you're, the, you're an animal, you're the animal, you know what I mean? And I never forgot that. So I said, no, instead of a dog, let's be an animal. Okay, and uh, it wasn't hard to write the lyrics. It was the night after I saw him perform at the uh, Key Club, same place I got shot out in front of, okay? But um, next day and the day after that, I took him in the studio and he sang the song, and he did a great job. Jeremy was like, well, who the hell is this guy? You know what I mean? He didn't know about Tobias at all. But once we got him in the studio and he just blew us away, you know, the guy sang all the backgrounds as well. He could sing up there in that kind of, you know, high high powerful range you know and i i just thought he did a really incredible job you know and um I, it, I, now we're friends and i'm going to return the favor and do some work for him on Excellent. um on his next avantasia project you know sometimes on a record you get where certain songs kind of go together 
and make a great mm-hmm. ending for an album. And I got to say, And I Know, Between the Lines, and Life just somehow work beautifully together to wrap up this awesome album. Can you talk a little bit about those? Well, the way it sequenced it, you know, I did have a big overview with the sequencing of the record, and I was really pleased. And I know I think it's one of my best vocal performances. Originally it was like a love song, but uh, I changed the lyrics to be a love song gone, gone bad, okay? You know, you know, you think someone's really wonderful, and then you realize they're not. And um, the instrumental track, um, and, and, and actually those two go really well together because that's the way they were on the EP, um, you know, with, with the Karabi song first. But getting Lukather to play was not my original idea. I knew I needed one instrumental, and over a, um, a short weekend I was able to write it, and we were booked in the studio a couple weeks later. Lukather was just a very um, unusual connection. Uh, the studio that uh, Kenny Aronoff, who's such a terrific drummer, by the way, uh, very excellent drummer. drummer. Yeah, he suggested this place called Steakhouse, and I remember Lukather had something to do with that studio. The studio didn't get back to me, and I was kind of panicking. I wanted to book the studio, so I reached out to Lukather. Next thing I know, he's like, "Here's who you got to speak to. No problem. I don't have anything to do with the studio anymore. But what are you doing tomorrow? Let's go have lunch." You know, it was like that. And Lukather being really not only a, you know a monster on the guitar, he's just a very friendly, sweet sweet, humble um, musician who likes to talk to his other musician friends, and we had lunch, and next thing I know, before that lunch, Jeremy says to me, you're going to ask him to play on that song, you know, you got to do that. I'm like, you're crazy. Why would I do that? I'm so intimidated by him. He's such a monster (laughs) on the guitar. Just think about it. It's going to make for a great track, the the dueling guitars. So I asked him, and then he said, you know, play me the song, you know, I think it's going to sound great. You know, it sounds like from the people you're you're going to get on the track. And sure enough, he agreed to come in. And we didn't have a big master plan with how we do it. I already had the chorus guitar parts. And then Jeremy and I just kind of let him jam for a while. And then we edited together everything that we liked. And I filled in the gaps. And it really comes out great. You know, uh, I really, really, very excited with that song. And uh, I just think it, um, I needed that instrumental. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I was able to showcase somebody as talented as Lucifer. When you walked into my life, the future seemed so bright. Could all my dreams come true? So I took you. And then I, I always had the envision of the record ending with a, a very self-reflective song, and life was kind of a tip of the hat to uh, Harrison and the Beatles and the way the way they, um, you know, like kind of like love is all you need and, and, and touch upon yes. the big themes in our life. And I, I even needed to buy a book called The um, Purpose Driven Life, which was getting a lot of press at the time when I was trying to do the lyrics, because that's what I was missing. I, I always had the lines, life's a crazy game, game, sometimes you win and lose. And then I knew I wanted to talk about fate. And then I realized I wanted dreams, but I, I, I was stuck with other things. And the, uh, the book gave me words like fear and, 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 and exploring other, you know, even the word faith, you know, um, all came from that book. And then I have to, all right, well, what is faith? What is fear? What, is, what, is, what are dreams? You know, very hard song to write the lyrics, but I was very proud. I spent a lot of time making that right. And then um, I had strings on it, and I wanted the end of the song. The solo was actually the first take in, uh, from the demo of the song to be quite honest. And it was on a beetle guitar, one of those kind of casino. Uh, it's not an Epiphone. It was a Gibson, but it's built like the Epiphone, Epiphone Casino that you've seen Lennon and McCartney and Harrison mm-hmm. play so much. But the ending is supposed to be the celebration of life, and that, that meant I wanted a whole collage of sounds from, from um, you know, percussion and, and ukulele and flute, and, and uh, there's, there's a bicycle horn, there's whistles, and, and it's a lot of fun. And I asked the violin guy, to, which Jeremy just let me direct him and have him just jam over the track. So it gave it a very, very, um, I think, a, a really big ending to, to the record.
almost got. I mean, there's so much going on. There's like a Celtic feel. There's a Beatles. Yeah. There's Pink Floyd. There's there's right. you know lots of. It's just a great way to end the album. It it, it, it truly is amazing. Great. Well, again, it was like that was my tip of the hat to a lot of the bands you just mentioned, and I wanted a whole kind of like it just to feel like a celebration, and and uh, now it's time to start from the beginning of the record again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Perfect. Let's right. play again. There you go. Well, Bruce, you talked about being a survivor, and I'll say on behalf of the KISS Army, we're really glad you survived. We love you lots. This is an incredible record, and we're behind you 100%. Thanks. I mean, you know, I want everybody to know that, obviously, um, I'm very appreciative of all the support I've gotten from um, many, many of the KISS fans. You may, they haven't forgotten me, but, you know, my goal with the record was always just to make the best record as a musician that I could, and hopefully not only you know, impress and, and, and uh, have my, my fan base from the KISS world embrace the record, but, but beyond, you know, people that usually don't have a part of that world, you know, they don't relate to the mm-hmm. KISS family and everything. And I'm hoping that, that this record will, will um, broaden it. And like, like earlier when you mentioned Nick, you know that people who love that show aren't necessarily huge KISS fans. Exactly. They're just aware that Gene is a very, uh, you know, famous and successful uh, you know, person and his family, obviously, it's been quite unusual and, and a lot of fun to, to peek into uh, the, the life, you know, of, of what it is to be so, have such a career like that. But having Nick and Nick's personality and, you know, I'm just hoping to, to make this record uh, be exposed to even in a, in a broader way to, to the entire music world. And, um, but I have to start and thank the Kiss fans, of course, for their support. So uh, thank you for having me on the show. And, all the news about what I'm doing and what's going on about this record, which comes out in February, will be on QLift.net, as you know. We want to have you on about once a year. Okay. Hey, this is Bruce Kulik. Please enjoy my new BK3 record. I think it will blow you away. Big thanks to Bruce for that great interview. And now let's go back to 1992 with Unholy. Yeah. 
Michael Doré sat down with us for an interview about his Kiss artwork on the new Sonic Boom cover and on the iconic Rock and Roll Over album. Michael, welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad to be back here with you, Ken. Uh, hello to Gary and James as well. We had a really good response from your last appearance on the podcast, where you gave us the scoop on some limited edition prints that would be coming out, and now that time is here. Yeah, the prints finally made it out. After delays, I'm really pleased that they're finally out and uh, up on uh, the Kiss Online site. And actually, some of them are uh, getting delivered right now to their first recipients. Oh, that's exciting. Please tell us more about them. I, I guess you know that this was a joint project between KISS and myself and uh, with, with the assistance of Live Nation. I just wanted to say about these prints that the image, they came out so well. You will probably never see better representations of, of this art than on these prints. The thing about them is not only just the quality of the color and the print itself, but that they're large scale. The image itself is 20 inches square and it's printed on uh, 25 inch square watercolor paper. Uh, it's a heavy duty paper and it's all archival and it'll last longer than any of the fans out there will last. So <laughs> this is this is truly a collector's item that's not your standard uh, lithograph poster in any way. It's a very high quality print. Now, Gary and I often joke about this, but we love the term limited edition because it's slapped on so many KISS products. Just just how limited are these things? There are only 250 each of Sonic Boom and uh, 250 of Rock and Roll Over. You know, there, there will probably never be another uh, edition of these. Wow. So, so, um, so this yeah. is the real deal. Now, now on the Sonic Boom one, the, the whole band signed these along with you, correct? That's right. The difference is that Sonic Boom, the, the images of the band were kind of derived from photographs that were supplied to me that I kind of reworked and manipulated. On Rock and Roll Over, the images were entirely of my creation, but they did represent two of the, um, the members that are no longer with the band. So it didn't feel right for me to ask uh, Tommy and Eric to sign when those those images represented, you know, Ace and uh, and Peter, Peter. That are no longer with with the band. Well, that makes perfect sense. So, so when did the guys sign these? It wasn't an easy thing to get to get everybody together to to sign these. Uh, what happened was at the very tail end of their American tour, I, I had signed them first because I was in Los Angeles. But the, the, we shipped the prints off to uh, Pittsburgh where they were um, performing at their last concert. And then, then they were all done. <laughs> That's amazing. So, so then these were signed in my neck of the woods in Pittsburgh. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I, I know you, you spoke about the colors being brilliant. Can you uh, fill us in a little bit more on that? Well, this is um, a very high-end printing process. It, it, it uh, takes a half an hour or more for each print to get done, and they're done one at a time. Um, so the, the colors, the only way I could describe it is this. If you have a, a, a fairly good monitor and you're looking at a, a, a colorful image, the colors are, that you see on your monitor are luminous. Well, I never thought that, that a printing process could approach that kind of color intensity, but I, I'm just amazed at that the level of, of color intensity in these prints approaches that, that you'd see on, a, on your computer monitor if you, if you had a finely tuned monitor. Um, it's, that, it's that intense. So they almost look electric. In a way, yeah. I mean, wow. Uh, and also the scale, the large scale of them is something that kind of takes people aback because they're not used to seeing these types of images that large. And I, I should want, I would like to add here that one of the reasons that I, I wanted to do this was because now with the, with, that we lack the um, ability to do vinyl covers for vinyl records, the 12-inch covers, we were we're stuck with the, the very small CD covers, and I really wanted uh, a kind of a venue to be able to show the, the art off the, uh, to people the way it, I really had intended it to be seen, you know, large scale. I can't wait to see the uh, iconic rock and roll over album cover piece blown up to this size. And there's only 250 of them, so you better get them while they can. They, they, they will not last long. Um, I've, I've also seen the picture of the guy's holding them up and uh it's got to be a thrill to to get to this 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 product through to you know fruition to where they're actually being some are being delivered this week yeah yeah they um it's it's been a long haul it's very gratifying to finally uh 
uh, have these being delivered and, and starting to get feedback from the people who've ordered them, and they're really loving them. As as a, a graphic artist, uh, I don't usually get to get that kind of feedback from people, so this is a situation that uh, I'm really loving. As far as uh, the folks at Live Nation, we'd like to thank them uh, for for helping us out and uh, making this all possible. You know, it was it was really great to have you on the show. We got a lot of good positive response, and it was really cool that you featured that part of our interview on your website. As a matter of fact, I saw where somebody said that uh, you 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 are going to be famous now. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, any kind of feedback like that is just like uh, an extra that just makes makes it all the sweeter well thank you very much for uh, being on the show again and you're welcome anytime and uh, thanks thanks for taking our call you're you're welcome it's great to be back with you guys again uh, i enjoyed the interview the first time around uh, i don't know if, if it's okay for me to add this but um as far as uh getting the prints uh, i'm sure you, you guys are going to post a link but you can also get to them through my website if you just log on to michaeldorette.com and um, from there, you can just click on Fine Art Prints, and it'll it'll take you to a link where you can, can see them and uh, then purchase them. Yeah, it'll take you to the Kiss Online store. I, yes. I don't sell them myself. Right, it's right. All, it's all done through Live Nation. And plus, if you go through my site, you can check out some of my other work and uh, and check out my blog. Definitely worth checking out. You've got a lot of great stuff there. So once again, guys, if you want the Sonic Boom uh, signed by the entire band and Michael Doré. Only 250 of them were ever made, and this is probably the only time it'll ever be done. The same goes for the Rock and Roll Over print. 250, you know they will not last. Signed by Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, and Michael Doré. Thank you, Ken, and thank you to all of you guys with podcast. Thank you, Michael. We'll be talking to you. Bye. Okay. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkist.com. If uh, you have any suggestions, comments, or just want to talk to us, drop us a line at podkist at gmail.com. Be sure to check out James's other site, which is called zombiefaq.com for all you white zombie fans. It's the place to be. A big thanks to Julian and all of our friends over at kissfaq.com. Big thanks to all of our pals at MyKissLife.net. Keith LaRue and all the staff over at KissOnline.com. They do a great job representing the hottest band in the land. Our good buddy Ken at his website, which is called KissFanSite.com. Thanks for all you do for the podcast, your great graphics. If you have a Kiss-related website and want us to uh, mention it in the show notes or uh, possibly talk about it on the air, just let us know and we'll see what we can do about that. As James mentioned, be sure to check out Kiss Online for links to all the individual band members' websites. And as always, a big thanks to Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Thanks for listening. Good night. Good night.